Hello, my name is Joe M. I am a grateful compulsive overeater and 100 pounder. Uh, thank you all for being here, Peter. Thank you for asking me to speak. Uh, I am in a new journey uh, recently. My car died. Uh, I spent a lot of money to get it fixed and it still it died again. And so uh, I put it in my carport at my apartment and I've been learning the metro system the past few weeks. And the funny thing about the buses, they don't run on time. Uh, I, luckily, I left early enough to, to, to get here. Uh, by you know to get on the next bus and you know just rearranging my life to that it's a it's a challenge uh, but um, but it all worked out um, I've been in program since October 26 2012 and just to qualify for everyone I came in at 303 pounds uh, I don't think that was my top weight that was just the weight that I was that was the time I had the courage to put to get on the scale I probably have weighed more than that in my life but that's the weight I came in with and within 12 months of being in this program, I lost over 100 pounds, just by the grace of God. Um, and, um, you know, it's been an interesting journey. I, like I'm sure a lot of you uh, can relate to this. I grew up in a family where, despite best intentions, uh, food was the bomb for, uh, for uh, sadness, uh, it was a reward for an achievement uh, or just to treat myself. Um, it was all about food in my family. Uh, we would do the bowl of ice cream before bed as a rule uh, kind of thing. Well, I mean, not a rule, but, uh, you know, I have it. Uh, and uh, we, we, you know, my, my mother came from her, her mother. I mean, it's just these things were passed down. It was like when you're upset, have a cookie. Uh, and despite her best efforts in trying to erase that behavior from our family, that's just how we uh, we uh, we did it. My my mother is uh, is a was a member of this program and is one of us. Uh, my father is uh, probably an emotional eater, if not a compulsive, actual uh, full blown compulsive lower eater. Um, so there's some learned behavior there, and there's some some, some stuff in there. All on my mom's side of the family, it's all addicts of all different colors. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's where I, it's where I come from. And, um, you know, so um, as a kid, um, I knew something was different. I just, from the moment I was, I had that self-awareness, I just felt different from everyone else. You know, I'd eat the same foods everyone was eating uh, and I was gaining weight and they weren't. And it made me very angry. I had a lot of anger about that and a lot of shame and a lot of sadness. Um, and what I didn't know is that while well, those friends were, they would eat that, whatever that food was, and they would go home and they were done, I would keep eating, you know. And, but, you know, and this is a progressive disease, so it started off very quietly. And uh, in the years that I was a little kid, um, you know, it didn't have, I didn't have access to my own food. I didn't have that, you know, I did, didn't have that mountain of food that I could access, you know. Everything was strictly controlled. And hello, Siri. And, uh, and um, uh, you know, uh, my weight, it was, I was always, from whatever that age when the doctor starts paying attention to your weight, when it's not baby fat or big boned or whatever the, the euphemisms that doctors and mothers love to use, uh, it was, I was always an overweight uh, child. Um, and by the time I got, uh, I just have memories of just, you know, loving certain, the certain foods we all love, loving sugar, loving white flour and, and other things. Uh, by the time I got to middle school, uh, that's when, you know, doctors had long been telling me I needed to lose weight and, 
And, you know, that's when, you know, it was, we were starting into that danger zone when the doctor was really concerned. And my mother was really concerned, so she started taking me about every six months to get a cholesterol test. And uh, to this day, I hate doctors because of that, because it, the numbers were always bad and they always got worse. And I, there's really nothing I could do about it, whether I earnestly tried to diet and exercise, and how many times I did, or I just heard that advice and just ignored it because I had tried it and it never worked for me. And, uh, you know, the doctors were doing their best, but they just didn't understand what my issue was. Um, you know, and, um, you know, around the mid-90s is when my mother went into OA, and uh, I think she started to gain a different perspective on what I was going through and what we, what we were both going through. Um, but I didn't know what OA was. She kept her, her, her anonymity very strictly. You know, she didn't talk about her program. So all I knew was she went to this meeting called OA a lot and it would be gone. And that's all I knew. She was gone and she would come back. Um, my weight continued to go up. Uh, it really, and it's something I feel like we don't talk about enough in this program. This really has an, body image and how I eat has, an, has a huge impact on romantic relationships, body image, and my sexuality. It's all tied in. Um, and, you know, when I was a young kid, I remember that, I remember around the time that puberty kicked in and, you know, had all these new feelings and urges and everything. I didn't know how to express them. And, uh, and you know, I didn't, I was very shy. And, you know, the, 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 the fat that I put on from the way I ate was my armor. You know, it kept me safe from, from what I felt were dangerous interactions. And, um, you know, as my weight continued to go up, that was my armor. But it also, it also created this incredible loneliness. You know, I was very isolated, even from my friends. And uh, when I got to high school, I went on a diet, a very, a very dangerous diet. It's now a huge controversy about it. Uh, that... Because I cut out one food group entirely, I was able to lose some weight. And uh, for the first time in my life, I felt powerful because I had lost this weight. I had felt like I was part of that group of people that I saw as you know, above me and had all these things that I wanted. And it was this incredible ego trip that I went on because of that. And that was my last year of high school. So that's that time when that's going on as well. And uh, I was not at a normal healthy body weight still, but I had lost you know, a significant amount of weight, I, maybe 50, 60 pounds, maybe more. Um, and I felt, I just felt godlike. And that is around the time uh, that uh, I got my first girlfriend. And, you know, so I equate, in my head, I equated losing weight with, with getting a girlfriend. Um, uh, and she initiated the relationship. Like, I, I, she just kind of kind of was interested in me and basically came up to me and said that and then we had been friends for a while and then we started we started dating you know we saw each other at school we didn't really go on any official dates and so in my head I also created that like oh the woman initiates a relationship and I just go along with it like I don't really have a say in it or my opinion doesn't matter and you know it was very unhealthy and toxic she had a lot of issues and um, you know and it ended really quickly and you know I just felt kind of used up and thrown away and that added into my eating and that added into my disease um, and uh, you know I, I wasn't able to initiate after that because I had kind of had this first experience of uh, you know of um, just feeling like grabbed taken used up and then thrown away and um, and so I, I tried to initiate one other relationship, didn't, wasn't successful, and then I kind of shut down that area of my life for a long, long, long time. And I continued to eat, and I continued to form this shield. 
Um, and as the years went on, uh, my weight would always continue to go up, but I would have periods of activity as this disease kind of goes in cycles, although it progressively gets worse. Uh, I managed to kind of, my weight managed to kind of gain very slowly. So I wasn't level and I wasn't exploding, but I was kind of gaining slowly. And I was in a major, uh, I was a, it was a theater arts major, so there's a lot of getting up and doing in that field. Uh, a lot of weekends and late night, late weeknights working on shows, on stage and off. And that kind of activity kept me kept me kind of, it kept me active enough that, you know, I was, my weight, you know, hadn't really become alarmingly, uh, you know, to gone to an alarming degree. But when I graduated from college, I didn't really have a plan and I was kind of listless. And I, at this point, I was really in a danger zone because I, um, I just didn't have, I, every, everything tying in, like I just, the disease had kept me from really realizing my dreams. There was a lot of fear there, so I wasn't taking a lot of action to achieve those dreams, so I was kind of stuck. And I, I had, the eating had slowly started pushing down all of my emotions to the point where, you know, I was losing my, fe- my feelings. And, um, you know, as, as wanting to be an actor, that's my bread and butter. And if I can't be intimate and emotionally honest and, and really connect to something deep within myself in, in, in that career I want to go into, I, like, I, have, I have no skills, I have, I have nothing. So um, I, uh, I continued, I, I just didn't have a plan, so I just sat around all day eating and watching TV, just a complete burden on my parents, and, uh, and they, they kind of forced me to get off and kind of look for work, and I spent 18 months looking for it, couldn't find anything, and it was getting really desperate, and this was right around the time that, you know, the, uh, there was the crash, and, you know, jobs were drying up, and so it was, that was also going on. And then um, I, start, I finally found a student job working in a library. I went to a career center, like I put a lot of effort in, and I found another job, you know. I found another, um, another career path, and uh, I started earnestly pursuing that. You know, and I, it, was just, it was just a mess. It was a mess because I couldn't, they promoted me to supervisor like two weeks after I got there, which is a, you know, <laughs> not a good move on their part. Uh, and I was excited. It's like, hey, more money, more responsibility. This is great. Well, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't handle anything. I couldn't even keep the door locked in the morning. People were coming in early and it was just, you know, they put me on Saturdays when no one was there. It's like, so I had no backup. So it was just, it was just a, a complete mess and uh, they called me in after a few months and you know, I had, the, the stress was so overwhelming to, overwhelming to my compulsive overeater disease brain that um, I was starting to like act out at people. I was starting to yell and snap and you know, I, I've always been someone who's like almost pathologically uh, afraid of confrontation. So I avoid fights, I avoid arguments as much as I can. Um, and to, ha- to go from being that to someone who gets into arguments and yells a lot, you know, has a lot of anger and all that kind of stuff, it was very scary to me, you know. And uh, I got called into the office and I got you know, reprimanded and, and uh, you know, shape up. And so I, I worked harder at it and I had more awareness now of what I was, you know, what was going on. And I worked for a few months at trying to be better at what I was doing. And they said, and after those few months, they said, well, you're not improving as much as we'd like. So we can either let you go or you can go back to your old position. And through the grace of God and some humility that, that came from, from somewhere, my higher power, I suppose, uh, I managed to take the bow back to my original position. And I remember a huge weight lifting off my chest, you know, being at this lower level. And I thought to myself, man, this is such a small, 
you know, supervisor was just a word that they used. It just meant I had a couple, I had a couple more responsibilities at the desk. I was still a student worker. I was still part-time. I didn't have, it wasn't a full-time position. It wasn't a, a quote-unquote real job. And um, it was really scary to me that I, knew, I, could, I had this feeling something was really wrong. And... Um, you know, and that was that was the beginning of the end. I think that was the last two years, and then um, it was about a year later or so. I, I was just really tired of fighting. Um, I had my spirit had really been worn down. At this point, I used food to push down emotions so much that the only thing I could feel was fear. Fear. The food never pushed fear down completely. So that's the only thing that sur- rises to the surface. No joy, no anger, no sorrow, no nothing. Just fear. Just an ocean of fear. I was swimming in every day. And, uh, you know, at this point I had four or five major health conditions that I wasn't treating because I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. I didn't want to go to the doctor again because I didn't trust doctors because of my experience in, when I was younger. And, um, you know, I was in serious trouble. And so I decided to try one more diet that a friend of mine had recommended. And... Uh, I tried it in earnest, and I think I was on that diet for six weeks, which for me is a huge achievement. Um, that's the best I could do, and that's as far as my willpower could take me. Um, and I and I had a lot of willingness, but I, I also the willpower was tied in with that, and so it was doomed to fail. And I did. I was, and like every other diet I'd ever been on in my life, it took me two weeks to. Um, Two weeks after I'd been off the diet. So I'd been off the diet for two weeks that the awareness would kick in that, oh, I'm off the diet. So I had a two week delay. Uh, and, uh, I gave up because I had made this promise to myself, I'm going to try this, this last diet. If it doesn't work, I'm going to get up. And it didn't. So I gave up. For four months, I didn't try to exercise. I didn't try to uh, affect my food. I just ate and sat around and, and it was just hellish. And uh, at the that fall, I said I have a problem, and I found a meeting. I went to the Hollywood, uh, the artists and abstinence meeting in Hollywood. I walked in. Uh, as soon as I sat down in that meeting, before the meeting started, everyone was talking and laughing, and and you know, uh, I just felt, oh, I'm in a room full of people who have my same problem. Like I'm not alone. You know, I I it started to break that delusion that we have that we're the only ones suffering from this problem, um, and. Um, the speaker started talking and I, he told my story. Like, I didn't, I, there were so many differences between his story and mine, I remember now, but I didn't, it's like I didn't hear those at the time, like I just heard the similarities and he just shared this wonderful thing and I, I just pumped him after me. I said, where do I get a sponsor? I start working with stuff. like, what do I need to do? And he said, okay, try these meetings uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, find a sponsor, start working the steps. It took me a month to get the courage up to go to those meetings. And uh, as, as today, still an issue uh, I have today, but then it was a lot worse. Uh, I was so chronically late because the meeting was on the other side of the county from me. And uh, by the time I got there, I was 36 minutes late to the meeting. And I missed the speaker's share. And, uh, and you know, it's like, well, I might as well go in anyway. Another miracle. Because normally if I miss something, if, I miss, if I'm late, I'm like, oh, well, it's ruined and I'll walk away, you know. But somehow I managed to stay. And I got so much out of even half the meeting, you know. And um, I saw my, the speaker that I first heard at the first, the first meeting I went to in earnest. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But, uh, uh, and he, I walked up to him and he had this weird look on his face. And I said, what? And he said, this doesn't normally happen to me, but I think you should go talk to Matt. And I was like, oh, this is a little strange. Like part of me was a little resistant and the other part of me was like, well, this is interesting. 
and this speaker, Matt S., was the one speaking at the meeting that day. And uh, I was too shy to talk to him. And he was talking to someone else anyway, which gave me an out. So I went to the book to write his number down. And as I was just finishing writing it down, I heard someone say, hi, I turned around, there he was. And I was like, huh, you know. And he said, uh, you know, my name's Matt. We talked to me. I hung, uh, you know, I shook his hand. I had, he got his number. And I called him the next day. I said, will you be my sponsor? He said, yes. And I started working the steps. I had no idea what a calorie was. I had no idea what an ounce was. And uh, I had just eaten food, put food on my plate and eaten it, you know. And uh, I learned through the food plan, the Dignity of Choice pamphlet, what, how much something was. I started using a scale because the machine told me what I needed to eat. And I didn't need to make that decision. So it was a lot easier for me to weigh and measure. Um, bless you. And... Um, just because I was eating like a sane human being and I made a list of all the foods that I knew were bad for me. Like, I feel like if we're honest, we know what foods are bad for us. We just have to be, we just have to write them down. And I did. I wrote down the list of foods and I made a, a, an inventory of red light foods, things I cannot ever eat, yellow foods that I'm not sure about and green foods I know I can eat because the green foods are always going to be longer than everything else. And that taught me that I, my food's not restrictive, that I can really eat. Uh, I have a lot more options than I think I do. And just by eating like a sane human being for a year, I lost so much weight. God knows how many calories I was eating per day. And now that I, I, was, I didn't, wasn't bonded to the food anymore, I wasn't in bondage, I could eat normally. And uh, what that taught me, and the important lesson that taught me is great as physical recovery is, and it is great. All those five conditions that I had are gone now. They're gone. I used to have sleep, chronic sleep apnea. I had to use a machine every night. Uh, I, last April, uh, uh, they did another test, and uh, I didn't. I got to get get rid of the machine. Didn't need it anymore. My high blood, my blood pressure was in stage two hypertension, and now it's constantly at a perfect. It's just perfect, you know. And uh, and just and we just and just on and on and on from there. And you know, um, but what it taught me was, I was still the same person. I was still the same person. I lost a hundred pounds, but I was still me. I had the same problems, I had the same insecurities, I had the same character defects, um, and I, that's why I needed the steps, and that's why I needed to work, to make myself better. Through my, my guidance of my sponsor, the running of my higher power, and then all I have to do is the footwork. You know, I'm not in charge of this show. I'm not the director of anything. I'm, I'm an actor on a stage. I do, do as I'm told. Um, is that fine? Thank you. So... That's where I get to live today in the fourth dimension. You know, I'm on my ninth step uh, doing my amends. Uh, I've maintained that 100-pound weight loss. Newsflash, my weight goes up and down because that's what normal people's bodies do. My weight's never going to be perfect and my food's never going to be perfect. Um, I commit my food every day before I eat it and I have a spiritual routine I follow. You know, I get on my knees every morning and not every morning, sometimes I forget. Again, progress, not perfection. I say the, the serenity prayer, the third step prayer, and the seventh step prayer. And then I say a personal prayer for myself in terms of letting go of the show and then to my friends and family to, to, you know, that they find what they're looking for. And a few positive affirmations in the mirror. And then I go out my door and I go to work. Um, I thought if I was very, very lucky, um, I might be able to stop compulsively overeating one day, you know, years, years down the road. You know, I stopped compulsory reading on October 25th, 2012. 
uh, and I lost that 100 pounds. Great. Uh, and then I started gaining a spiritual recovery. I started gaining, gaining empathy, more, more and more and more and more empathy for my fellow of fellows and the world at large. I started seeing the world differently. And I realized that perception is like 90% of the game. It's how we see things that, that really determines our mood and how we approach life, not how it is, but and learning how to see things as they are instead of as I want them to be. Clearing all the longing out of my brain, getting all that fog out and just focusing on what's right in front of me. Um, I work with sponsees. That's crucial. You can't keep this if you don't give it away. Um, and it's the most rewarding experience. Um, you know, and my journey continues. I recently started, uh, about a month ago, I realized I needed to be in another 12-step program. And that was hugely humbling for me after being in this program for four years and gaining the recovery I have. It was difficult. And it still is difficult. Um, there were so many goals that I had, the things I wanted to do, but my life had reached a new level of unmanageability. And I had to address the fact that I needed to be in this new program. And I'm working it. And I'm in withdrawal right now, and it's very difficult. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, all I can do right now is just get through the day, survive, and do my work, you know. And, I, and that's, my world has kind of got a little bit smaller because of that new, this new unmanageability I'm in. Um, but, again, it's all in how I look at it, you know. And what I have gained by being in this new program is the recovery and the wisdom I've gotten from this program. I get to carry into that program. Now, I'm not saying the credits transfer. They don't transfer. This is a new program. And uh, I have to work it afresh. And I have to expect the unexpected, that there's going to be things coming up I've never dealt with before. There's going to be new challenges. And there's going to be a lot of pain that I have to process. Um, but I know it's worth it. I know it's worth it because I've been through this program. And I haven't even been through all 12 steps yet in this program, you know. But um, I've gained enough recovery to know that and to, look, and to just, when things get difficult, to look at those people that are ahead of me in the recovery, to look at my sponsor, who's now my sponsor in both programs, um, and go look at the recovery he has. If I keep doing the footwork, that's where I'm going to be. I'm not going to have his life. I'm going to have his recovery. Um, and, uh, and a little bit of my own recovery as well. You know, the things I've learned in this program, you know, sticking with something even if you know, my head tells me it's not going to work. If there's anything I, I've learned in this program is my head doesn't know what's best for me. Um, especially when food or this new uh, a, new addiction is, is involved, uh, it, when that you know that temptation's in the way. Um, food hasn't called to me since 2014. That was the last time I actually had food called to me. So I, I'm very grateful for that. Um, it's just when I look at food I can't eat. It's just wax paper. You know, it's it's just it's just wax fruit. It's just it's just like a prop to me. It's like made out of wood. It doesn't. It's not part of my life anymore. And what I learned is, as, you know, as much as I thought that food was everything when I was, in, uh, when I was in the disease, I realized what I wanted from that food I could never get. And I, what, I need, what I needed, I could get from the healthy sources I get from now. Um, and that that no longer is necessary for my life. Um, it's just a poison that held me back. So, uh, with that, I will wrap up. Uh, thank you for letting me speak here today. Um, and... Um, yeah, have a great weekend, guys. Thank you.
This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Yeah. Um, I, I was, okay, so you're saying how you're not in control because your mind. Nope. Obviously. So the question is, how do I just juxtapose the uh, not being in control of food with the supposed control of nutrition and all that stuff? Um, the knowledge, so there's that knowledge, right, that we all have. And most of us have, whether by searching ourselves or by people who come up to us and say, you know, if you try this diet, if you, if, you, if you work out this way, if you do this three times a week, you'll be, you know, all that information. And some of it's great, some of it's not, you know, just, just, for me personally, it's like it's just downloaded in my head. It's this giant encyclopedia of knowledge. Some of it's complete garbage and some of it's useful. Um, you know, the program teach, tells us to, you know, seek outside help so we can go to therapists, we can talk to nutritionists. Uh, personally, all that knowledge was useful in when I'm in a, a recovery place. When I'm, not, when I'm not in recovery, that knowledge is useful. I can't apply it. So it's, it's counterintuitive, especially in this no-surrender culture that we live in, that when I surrender control, things work out. So it's not... So surrendering control doesn't mean giving up and it doesn't mean, well, I just get to lie back and God does everything for me and I'm going to sit on my couch. I still have to do footwork but it, the higher up stuff, you know, whether the bus shows up on time, you know, whether, you know, my bike has a flat tire, my mother dies, like all that stuff that whatever it is that triggers us to eat, um, that's out of my control. So when I've gained recovery and when I've gotten out of those foods that caused me trouble and I'm following my step work and maintaining, having constant contact with my higher power and my sponsor then that knowledge becomes useful because I can't apply it. And it's not really control, it's just footwork. It's self-care. Um, so that's how I look at it. Uh, basically, it requires practice, like anything else. It's like confidence. You know, you, you take a risk, in this case the risk being joining away or getting a sponsor or turning over everything to a higher power. And then when things pay off, those experiences you put in your memory bank and you draw on those the next time you're unsure. Like, well, I tried this before and it worked out. And you build your confidence that way. It's the same thing with program for me. It's a work in, pro- work in progress and it's practice. As long as I'm following my program, things work out and I have the ability to um, make healthy decisions with the guidance of my higher power and my sponsor. Yes. Um, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for your um, inviting to share. You discussed, uh, you know, romantic relationships and, you know, how that, you know, how you sort of like put the brakes on because of uh, how you felt and without putting you on the spot, but I am putting you on the spot. And how does that 
uh, change for you now that you have, you know, recovery in the program, the physical recovery? Well, um, so the question was, how has my romantic relationships and, and uh, changed since I've been in recovery in OA? Um, I've gained a lot more confidence, but I'm actually in another 12-step to do with relationships. So I still have to do that. I still have issues and a different addiction to be in recovery on, uh, and I need 12-step uh, structure with that before I get to that point. Uh, this, you know, this disease plus the one I'm in, um, the one I'm, the, the disease of, over, of overeating plus this new program that I'm in has kept me from pursuing romantic relationships for 15 years. It's an incredible uh, disease and incredible uh, just, you know, maladaptivity with, with this. So it's a work in progress. Um, you know, as of anything that I do, it's all about checking in with my sponsor with any big decision. Uh, dating would be in that list, you know. Uh, and saying this is what I want to do what do you think I just want your guidance not that my sponsor tells me what to do and not that I follow their advice 100% without thinking about it they share experience I listen to it and I decide you know most of the time I I, I, I follow my sponsor's uh, recommendations but you know if you know sometimes I need to go my own way and that's that's why our sponsors don't govern us they're not teachers they're just they just guide us so, you're welcome could you talk a bit about your higher power and your relationship with it and if you can do it in a short time, <laughs> has it changed from a, whatever you thought your higher power was when you walked into program? So the question is, can I talk about my higher power and, and my process and how, 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 I've, how it's changed, how I look at my higher power now? Uh, yes, it has. It has. When I first started, there was a lot of focus on what my higher power looked like. Uh, and, I, and I think the idea of that, for me, the way I saw it was creating a visual idea of what my higher power is gave me something to focus on and it gave me a place to look and it was kind of made things simpler. But I, because I'm a thinker, I'm an overthinker, I was like, oh, well, if my higher power looks like this and maybe it has this and I started to get really too granular in the details. And what I've learned now is my higher power, although I, I do see a physical form on occasion, it's more just a feeling. Uh, my higher power speaks to me in feelings. I'll, ask, I'll just ask my higher power a question and I'll either get a thought will come into my head that I know did not come from me. Just a feeling, I know. Or, yeah, because it's healthy, right? Uh, <laughs> or uh, it's, an, it's, it's, it's like literally like, like a response in my head or it's a feeling, an instinct that pops in. It's a deeper kind of thing. So now when I ask my higher power for guidance, that's what comes to me. And it... It is this internal thing. You know, I used to see, you know, praying is like this, looking up, but now it's like looking in. So sometimes when I pray, I do this because it's, it's coming from within me. Does that mean? Yeah. Hi. Hey, thank you so much for your sharing. You're welcome. So the question is, do I have any daily 10-step practice? Um, as one, one thing, the one things I learned in this program is you don't have to start your 10th step after your 9th step. Uh, and so I have been doing 10 steps, you know, and when, when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it. I, I promptly admit I'm wrong, you know, uh, frequently. Whenever it happens, or at least I try to, if I'm aware of it. You know, if I come back later and I go, ooh. You know, I had a fight with my coworker, what was it, a year ago, because I was doing something outside my job description, and it wasn't my job, and I was 
interfering with someone else's job and I was just making it more stressful for everyone because I have a people-pleasing thing and I work at a service desk and I was trying to troubleshoot something I have no training in. I had gotten to a shouting match with someone over the phone and I talked to my sponsor about it and I was like, oh, you know what, that's not my job. And I sent him an email right back uh, within 20 minutes after I calmed down saying, you know what, you're absolutely right. That's not my job. I apologize. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just when I see someone I want to help, I just want to help them and sometimes I go overboard. And ever since then, that relationship with my coworker is even stronger. So that was an example. Uh, yeah, so I do call my sponsor or talk to my sponsor through text or email and, uh, and work out 10 steps. Uh, I don't have a daily practice yet. I don't like do an inventory yet where I go through, you know, in the morning uh, and, and you know, kind of look at my day. But when things pop up on an as-needed basis, I do that. There'll be more. I know there'll be more structure down the road. But right now, focusing on doing my nine-step uh, letters. So. Yes, sir. Thank you. are welcome. Um, so your ninth step. Yes. Have you had an experience where you had to face a fear and directly talk to So the question is, have I had to face a fear and talk to someone directly during doing my ninth step? Not yet. Uh, I'm just completing my letters, so I haven't gotten to that the second part where I actually commit them. Uh, so not yet. You know, there is a lot of fear around that. I felt my fourth step a lot scarier than my ninth uh, so far, but I haven't gotten to the point where I've actually had to talk to anyone yet. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but it's, you know, the ninth step is about me. It's about me knowing that I made amends to somebody for my recovery and my healing. I hope that they, that there's healing in them and that they recognize and there's reconciliation. But it's not my place to make that happen it's my place to make the amends if the person is still angry and says well fuck you I don't care or whatever that that's their business and that's you know that's their issue you know their issue and they I, you know I respect I respect you know although it's, I know it's for me I know that's not healthy to hold on to things I respect if they want to say angry that's, that's fine you know it's not up to me right uh, so uh, you know, I just have to take it as it comes, you know, um, and hope that hope that that they get out of it uh, as much as I get out of it. But ultimately, it's about me healing. So, yes. Thank you so much. Um, after you do all that wonderful internal work in the morning, after you go to a great meeting, after you meet mm. your sponsor, and you walk away from that, how yes. do you hold on to? How do you hold on to that? How do I hold? So the question is, how do I hold on to all that OA, OA program when I'm not, you know, actively and to remember I'm an addict? Can you commit my food every day? Help, you know, that's that's a good structure. Going to meetings, um, it just lasts with me. I guess I could say, um, food, as food doesn't call to me, I'm not saying that food isn't a problem for me. That's why I'm in this program and why I've always been in this program, but. It doesn't call to me actively anymore, so I don't... It's more about those character defects, like the underlying issue. Like, the food is the symptom. We learn that, and we, we dig deeper. And that, for me, it's the underlying... Um, when I see those character defects popping up, praying over them, um, you know, con- being in contact with my sponsor constantly, really. Texting him once or twice a day, saying, hey, this is what's going on with me right now. Um, just being honest and being open and cre- creating that contact. Because I have had periods where I've been out of contact with my sponsor for a while, just sending in food, but not... Like, this is what's going on with me. And, you know, in the long run, it does hurt me. It does hurt me. So I would say keeping in constant contact with my sponsor is really important for me to maintain that. Yes. Um, Thanks for your share, Joe. Um, I want to ask you about fear. And you 
talked about fear being it all boiled down to that was the only thing you felt. Yeah. And, uh, I'm wondering now in recovery, you have um, how has the fear changed? Is it still there but a little less? And um, how, how do you do you use programs to counteract that? And, and in particular, if you could talk about yeah. So, okay, so the question was... Um, no, 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 uh, no, fine. Uh, the question was uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, how does fear, how does fear play a part in my life? How do you use program for fear? And then specifically career. Thank you, five minutes. Um, I... Praying, really, mostly. Praying, getting on my knees. When I'm in fear, getting on my knees and, and contacting my sponsor and saying, hey, I'm in a lot of fear right now. And just sending that out to the, to the universe actually makes it, makes it better on its own, even if he doesn't respond right away. My sponsor and I have di- really differing schedules, uh, and so it's hard for us to meet up in person that often. Luckily, we go to the same meeting, so that's great. And I get to see him once a week, and that's wonderful. Um, so I think I would say when I'm in a place of fear or anxiety, uh, especially anxiety is really an issue, I'm going to the bathroom, you know, lock the door and then get on my knees and pray um, and contact my sponsor. And that usually is enough. And then, you know, I, you know, I try to keep, my, I'm pretty busy at work. I keep myself busy. That can also help if nothing else. Uh, and then I, you know, I try to sit down and kind of, when I have a moment to kind of look at like, well, what am I afraid of? And it usually comes back to insecurities at work, financial insecurity, people pleasing, uh, uh, the terrifying fear of upsetting people. Like if someone's mad at me, I'm just, it just, I'm just in so much terror about that. Why? I don't know, but I'm working on that. Uh, so yeah, praying and contacting my sponsor mainly and occasionally doing some, reading some literature as well. Literature is so, so wonderful. It's really great to, to access. Uh, yes. Thank you very much for your share. Could you talk a bit of whether your relationships with those people you were praying for, family mm-hmm. and friends, have changed over time and how it changed in your family? I don't know if your mother was still alive when she got in the program or is still alive. Thank you. Uh, the question was how my relationships have changed in program and um, and how I like... Uh, so, yeah, they, they're so much better than they were um, you know, most of the damage I did, I did to myself. You know, I hurt myself a lot. And one, in, in a strange way, I'm grateful for that because it means I wasn't hurting others. Uh, but that didn't, doesn't mean I didn't hurt others or that by hurting myself, I wasn't hurting others. But my relationships with my friends and family have gotten so much deeper and so much more meaningful. Uh, my relationship <laughs> with my mother uh, is... It's good, but, you know, doing this new program, there's a lot of stuff coming up, some family stuff that I'm looking at. And uh, uh, there's a, I'm in, uh, I'm in no social contact with women as part of this relationship program for a certain period of time. So we're not in contact right now. And that has actually given me a lot of clarity. Um, and, uh, you know, that's painful for her. It's hard for me, too. And, you know, I had to tell her it's not about you. You know, it's about me and my recovery. And it's everyone, not just you. All, all my women I interact with socially. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, I have to look at that stuff and, and, you know, and figure out what those, these experiences that are floating up that I'm remembering that were strange or somehow unhealthy. And I have to look at those and see what they mean to me. Because it doesn't really matter what her side of the story was. That's her business. And it has, that doesn't help my recovery. 
It also doesn't help to look at that because I don't want to get into taking her inventory and getting because it's my side of the street I have to clean up. Uh, and we all do our best and we all make mistakes. Uh, so I have to look at that honestly. But my relationships, my friendships are so much better than they used to be. And uh, you know now I'm learning how to treat myself well and to take care of my own needs that I need to take care of and not anyone else's. Uh, I'll give a quick example. Uh, my car, you know, is in the shop, and uh, it, well, it was in the shop. Now it's you know in my apartment. And I was saying, you know, it's, it may be dead. I'm going to try one more time to get it fixed. If it doesn't, I sell the thing and I move on. And that's the end of it. You know, it's just a car. All my friends have cars and they're really used to their cars. And it's just a car. I've had two separate people say offer to buy me a new car, and I'm like, you know, that's really generous, but that's not being self-supporting, and that's not. I can buy my own car. You know, and that's a, a kind of a hint. Uh, although it comes from a, a good intention, that's a hint of how reliant I've been, maybe unhealthily so, on my friends in the past, and I get to start looking at that and changing it. So you know, progress, not perfection. Yes, sir. Sorry, how is your relationship with the higher power today? as opposed to when you first came in the, so the question is, how is my relationship with my higher power today and how was it? And I'll wrap up with this. Thank you, time's up. Uh, and how is it, um, how is it uh, now? So how was it then? How is it now? Uh, I didn't really have a relationship with higher power. I didn't know what higher power was. Because I, I, you know, I, I had kind of a nebulous idea of the universe and spirit and spirituality. My higher power was, at the beginning of my program, it was an abstract concept. It was words in a book. You know, I didn't know what it meant. Now, my higher power is a direct spiritual connection uh, to something bigger than myself that takes care of the show and that loves me no matter what. Again, my views are not, what is it, uh, not those of overrated anonymous as a whole. I believe that a successful higher power can never be judgmental. Because if a higher power is judgmental to me, then it's shaking the finger or punishing me, then I, I collapse. I can't handle that. I have to have a higher power that's 100% loving, 100% accepting, that is patient and will wait for my ass to drag, drag my ass to the, to the finish line of where it needs me to be um, with my footwork. Because that's what I need for my program. I did a seven concepts thing where I, I created my own higher power, like a higher power wanted that as part of my step work. And that was necessary for me to understand what I needed for my higher power. And those needs were handled by my higher power. And then some of those needs I began to start taking care of with myself. Uh, so it's always a you know, constantly evolving, changing thing. But now it's a real tangible feeling and idea and connection in my head, whereas before it wasn't. So thank you, everyone. I really appreciate it.